Welcome to Into the Verse, where we share new and unexpected insights about the Parsha, diving deep into the verses to uncover the Torah's own commentary on itself. This is Hilary Gutman. Mazel Tov! Congratulations on finishing Leviticus this past week. We've now completed the first three books of the Torah, Genesis, aptly named for the beginning of the world and the nation who become the focus of the rest of the Torah, Exodus, about the nation's epic departure from Egypt, and last week, we finished Leviticus, the book filled with tons of laws about the Levites, the priestly tribe. This week, we begin the Book of Numbers. Now, I hope all you other math enthusiasts are just as excited as I am to start crunching some numbers. Enough of that drama stuff. The Book of Numbers should be all about counting and math, right? Well, I hate to spoil your numerical fun, but once you get past the census report in this week's Parsha, this book is packed with drama and struggles. Spies, rebellions, miraculous plagues, battles, and it even has its fair share of illicit relationships. So how does the name Numbers fit with what the book as a whole is all about? In this week's episode, Rabbi Foreman is joined by another member of the Aleph Beta family, literally. It's his daughter, Ariella, who is interning at Aleph Beta. Together, they explore the significance of the title, The Book of Numbers. Their discussion actually leads to a fascinating theory about the names of the Torah's first four books and weaves them into a singular story. The inspiration for their theory lies, interestingly, in the counting that occupies the bulk of this week's Parsha. Here are Rabbi and Ariella Foreman. Ariella, it's good to have you. Say hi to everybody. Hi. All right, Ariella. I have a question for you for starters. Are you ready for my question? I hope so. Okay, great. Here's the question I want to ask you. You know, you're on the approval table for names of the Bible. On a scale from one to 10, one being really bad and 10 being wonderful, I'd like you to, to sort of rate and explain how you think the name of the book matches with kind of the main ideas of the book. You got to approve them. You ready? <clears throat> Safer Brashit. We're going to call it Brashit, not just because of the word Brashit, but because we think Brashit actually works to capture the idea of the book. Brashit means in the beginning, or in Latin, Genesis. How good of a name do you think this is? I think that for the Parsha, it's a 10. For okay. the Safer, it's like a 2. But if you take a more expansive view of in the beginning, what else could in the beginning mean? It could mean in the beginning of a universe and in the beginning of a people a nation, the beginning of our people, in which case it's a great name for the book, right? It probably gets a 10 because it's it's sort of laying the groundwork where the, the family gets started that is ultimately going to become Israel. So it's in the beginning of a world and it's in the beginning of a nation, sort of all wrapped into the one. So let's keep that. Okay, Ariella, let's go to our next book, the book of Shemot in Hebrew or Exodus in English. Do you think it's a good name? And here you sort of have to break up the difference between the Hebrew name and the English name, right? They seem to have little to do with each other. If you had to translate the name Shmot into English, what would you have called the book? Names. Names. But notice how that's not how the English authors called it. They called it Exodus. Probably because Exodus sounds like a much better name for the book, right? Because, Ariella, if you had to think about Exodus on a scale from 1 to 10, how good of a name would that be? Nine. Nine, because that's like a major idea about the book, right? The people of Israel are all going through and all the movies made of them, Prince of Egypt, Ten Commandments. It's like a stunning theatrical event, the Exodus from Egypt. Really good name for like the main event of the book. If we call the book names on a scale from one to ten, what would you rate it? Point 0.5. It's like really bad, right? I mean, it's like the first verse. And then we're off to the races with an entirely different idea. There's a new king. Everyone becomes slaves. They get out of Egypt. 
right? What does names have to do with anything? So let's move on. Let's go to Leviticus, Hebrew name Vayikra. Notice how the English people did not stick with that name. For good reason. For good reason. So Ariella, how good of a name do you think Vayikra is for the book? One. One. And why is it so bad, Ariella? The only reason why it's good is because it's used so much in Vayikra, but it has nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do with the meaning of the book. What does the word Vayikra mean? And he called. And he called. So Moshe got called. It's the first thing that happened. Pretty bad name, right? Mm-hmm. Leviticus is a much better name, which is probably why the English folks didn't just translate the Hebrew. Instead, they just changed it entirely to Leviticus, which just means the laws of the Levite class, or the laws of the priests, which actually picks up on what Chazal say the, the name of the book is. They call it Torah Kohanim, the laws of the Kohanim. So basically, we've got two books now that the English names seem to have nothing to do with anything. The direct English translation, or based off the Hebrew, or the Hebrew names, seem to be weird, right? The Hebrew name for Breshit, I kind of get it, why it might be a good name for the book. It's the beginning of everything. But when it comes to Shemot and Vayikra, Ariella has given us an official 0.5 and 1 for these names. Very bad, because a book that is called Names and a book that's called Callings doesn't really have to do with much, seemingly. And that brings us to Numeri, or the Book of Numbers, which is another time where the Hebrew name for the book and the English name kind of diverge. What do you have in Hebrew for Numbers? If you were translating it, Ariella, what name would you give Bamidbar? In the Desert. In the Desert. Okay, how good of a name for the whole book would you say In the Desert is? Seven. Pretty good, because they were at least in the desert. Strangely, though, the English folks thought they could do even better. They called it numeri, numbers, based off of seemingly one of the first things that happens in this book. Take a look at the first couple verses here, Ariella. See if you can read them and tell me why the book is called Numbers. Go ahead. <laughs> So God is telling uh, Moses to do something over here in the second year of the desert, and what's he telling him to do? What should he do? He should count for Israel. He should count the children of Israel. Ah, so now you see why it's called numbers? Yeah. Yeah, because that has to do with counting, right? Okay, now rate it. How good of a name is the book of numbers? Because we've got some counting over here. Three. Three, it's pretty good for Parshat Bamidbar. Doesn't do much for the rest of the book. The rest of the book has to do with the travails of the people during this time of the desert. Very little to do with numbers. So, Ariella, we have got quite a task for us. In looking at the names of all these books, few of them make sense to us. Genesis, we can get by with. Shmot, well, the English sounds a lot better than the Hebrew. What does Shmot have to do with anything? And Vayikra, that sounds like a really poor name. Much better in English, Leviticus. Over here, the book of Numbers... You know, it's sort of okay in Hebrew, in the desert. The English name Numbers really is kind of weird. English name, by the way, comes off of something else that Chazal say, Chumash HaPikudim, because the word for numbering over here is actually Pakad. If you read one more verse, verse 3, over here in the beginning of Abidbar, we hear that Miben Asrim Shana from 20 years old, Kol anybody that goes out to the army, Tif Gedu Otam, there's that word Pikudim, you shall count. And therefore, hence the word numbers of the book Pikudim. So, Ariel, what I'd like to do with you is try to come up with a theory that would make at least these four first books of the Bible actually make sense. Genesis, Exodus, or Shemot, really, the book of names, the book of Leviticus, the book of not just the laws of the Levites, but the book of calling, and finally, the book of 
Bamidbar, or otherwise known as Chumash HaPikudim, the Book of Counting. How would these all stitch together? And to do that with you, Ariel, I want to sort of engage in a little kind of Venn diagram analysis of the central word that Chazal, our sages, use for Sefer Bamidbar. And we're going to be looking at the word Pakad and its various different meanings and almost kind of assembling a Venn diagram and trying to see that this word is almost like a chameleon. It has a lot of different shades of meaning. How exactly do they overlap? So, Ariella, we've seen the word Pakad over here right in the beginning of Bamidbar to be a word that means to count. From your vast knowledge of the rest of the Bible, can you give me any other instance where pakad you think might mean something else? So Sarah is about to have a child. She gets pregnant. Word for that, Hashem pakad et Sarah. There's that verb. Give me some sort of translation of that verb. God what, Sarah? Remembered. God remembered Sarah, maybe. And that, in, in fact, now many translations will, will translate it. But remember, it doesn't seem to have a lot to do with the idea of counting. Uh, let's take another shot at pakad. Does pakad mean anything else from your knowledge of, of Torah? Where else would the word pakad ever appear? Pakod yifkodatchem. Good. Pakod yifkodatchem. Where does that phrase appear? Um, at the end of Bereshit, with Yosef telling his brothers to... Not bury him in Mitzrayim. And so what is he telling the brothers when he says, Pakod yifkod alokimat chamiza? Hashem's going to remember you. Not just they'll remember you. We're on the cusp of a terrible dark moment in Jewish history, slavery, which will last for 400 years. The Jews don't want to just be remembered. What else do they want? Redemption. They want redemption. You're going to be redeemed. You're going to be taken out of this terrible place. In a way, that's what Yosef wants from his brothers. Because as you put it, what's Yosef's request of his brothers at that moment when he says that God will ultimately remember you in Egypt? When Hashem takes them out, that they should remember to bring his Oh, bones. there's that word again. They should remember me. In other words, don't forget me. Kind of redeem me as well. And in a way, you're beginning to see a connection between the word redeem and remember. Right? How does the idea of remember connect with the idea of redeem? How does it feel to be remembered? How does it feel to be redeemed? Imagine you're a slave. What bothers you about being a slave? No one notices you. And what's the only reason why you matter? If you're doing something in the world. Yeah, I'm doing something in the world for Paro, not for myself. I'm making bricks. And if I die and if I drop, there's always somebody to take my place. I feel forgotten. Right? But when someone redeems me, I feel like I matter again. Mm-hmm. I feel like I count. If someone remembers me, I feel like I count. That which is forgotten doesn't count. So there's this Venn diagram here of meaning where three words that seem to mean different things count. Count in English has two meanings. It can mean to number something, but it can also mean to matter, to count. The idea of to be remembered is when you feel like you matter. To be redeemed is actually when, oh my gosh, somebody actually cares about me and takes me out. And that, in fact, is what Joseph is asking from his brothers. Could you remember me? Could I count when I'm just bones? Could you take my bones out from here? That would be a great show of brotherhood. That I count that I'm part of your family, that I matter to you. And in fact, there's one other reading of the word, pakad, which is going to appear in Bamidbar. If you read a little bit more here on this parsha, if I can direct you now, Chapter 1, 
Parak Allah Pasuk Mem Chet and Mem Tet and Nun, take a look at those three verses. Hafkeid, as this word, has sort of a, another chameleon example of it. Vaidabra Hashem HaMosha Lemor. But Levi, you shouldn't count and you shouldn't make them be a part of Bnei Israel. And you shouldn't count. It's just another word for count, tifkod and tisa. But now look at that verb, how pakad is now going to take on a different shade of meaning in the very next verse. Read the first half of the next verse. And what does that mean? What does hafkeid mean now? Appoint. You should appoint the Levites, to a special job that they have. So if, Ariella, you got appointed to a special job, how would you feel? Happy. And you would feel like you? I remembered. You were remembered. You counted. And here, you know, we can use your your little internship here at Aleph Beta as an example, right? You come to Aleph Beta, and imagine that you're here for two days, and you say, hi, I'm here for my internship, and no one blinks. Sit around for 15 minutes. You sit around for half an hour. You sit around for two days and no one even acknowledges your presence. How do you feel? Forgotten. Forgotten. Even more. How will you feel? Like I don't make a difference. Like I don't make a difference. Like I don't count. So you see how those words come together, right? But then someone comes and says, Oh my gosh, Ariella, I can't even believe it. We have this incredibly important job that only you can do. We're going to appoint you over this job, all of a sudden you're going to make this difference. So now you do count. Now you've been remembered. In a way, you almost feel like you've been redeemed. To be unredeemed is to feel lowest of the low. But to be redeemed is someone has taken my soul and I feel renewed, right? Which is what it can feel like when when you actually matter in the world. So it's, it's this idea of mattering as an individual, as a nation, which really is perhaps the essence of the idea of pakad. Pakad means more than just count, more than just numbers. It means to appoint. It means to count. It means to be redeemed. It means to be remembered. It means to not be forgotten. It means to actually gain significance. Now here's my challenge for you. Let's go back and read the names of these books and see if we can find a line that we can draw through all four of them. Almost a story that's being told through Breshit, Shmot, Vayikra, and Bamidbar slash Chomesh HaPikudin. Let's start from the very beginning in Genesis, right? Here we have this very first book. We say it's not just like a, a three, it's a ten. It's a really good name. Why is it a good name? Because in Breshit, it's the beginning of what? beginning of everything. Of everything, which is to say not just a universe, but the beginning of a nation. A family that starts with Avram, then devolves to Yitzchak, and then to Yaakov, and then his children, and they're on the cusp of becoming something more. They're on the cusp of becoming a nation, right? Now, when something goes from just a person, you'd say in the larger scope of the universe, which is what creation is all about, right? How much does any one person count or matter? Look at the universe, big place, 100 billion galaxies. Every galaxy, 100 billion stars. Out of one of those lonely galaxies, there's nine planets on the third rock from the sun. There's seven billion people. One of them in the scope of the universe doesn't seem like it counts that much, right? Well, there's some people that count a lot in the whole world. Okay, good. There's some people that count a lot. Some people that can make their mark. What do you do to make your mark? What makes you count? You change the world. If you change the world. 
these people that came along that began to change the world, that began to count. Because Avram was important not just because of what Avram did, but because of the family and the legacy that he left behind. Now, in Hebrew, there's a word for legacy that you leave behind as a person grows into a family, that grows into a nation. When a person dies, and they want something to be carried on. What do they want to be carried on? And think about Yibom here, with this notion that a person dies and they don't have kids, they don't have legacy. So the brother of the deceased is supposed to marry the widow, and then they're supposed to have this child. Now, if they have the child, in the words of the Torah, what do they carry on from that dead brother? What's the Hebrew term for that? The name. Lo yimacheshmo Israel. His name shouldn't be blotted out. Isn't that interesting, Ariella? What's the next book in the Torah after Breshit? Shmo. The book of? Names. Names. The moment when we really start to count. Because there's a legacy. The person has not just become a person, but a family. And the family is on the cusp of becoming a nation. And the people who started the nation, they all count. They all matter. And you know they matter because they all have names. The difference between a whole bunch of people and people who matter is if those people I'm looking at are not just dots on the screen, but they all have names. So naming someone is a way of describing that they count, they matter. Now the problem is that there's a couple things that can get in the way of mattering. Dying can get in the way of mattering. If you die, you no longer matter. But if your name is continued, if someone continues your legacy, then they keep your name alive and you still continue to matter. So when Abraham dies and his name is continued and he has a family and everyone in that family matters and they all have names and there's a nation that's there and is going to make a name for themselves, maybe that's what Shemot is about. But there's only one problem. What happens the minute after you learn the names of this incipient nation? Look at the very first paragraph in Shemot. It's devoted to the names of this nation, and the nation should just come into fruition, right? It should become this wonderful nation that actually matters in the world and is is making a difference in this world of creation. But they do but, make a difference, Abba. Yes, go ahead. That's what our whole religion is about. That's right. But you're reading with, from the end. In the end, we make a difference. Let's say you didn't know the end and just read verse 8 and 9. There was a new king in Mitzrayim that didn't know Yosef. Ah, didn't know Yosef. Yosef was the intern now, and there's this new king that's ignoring Yosef, and someone stops counting the most important of the Israelites, and Yosef doesn't count. And what did he tell his people? Keep on reading. What's he concerned about? That is bigger and better than Mitzrayim. They count too much. They matter too much. We're worried about them. We're worried that they can do us harm. So what does he do? He enslaves them. And as he enslaves them, what is he seeking to do? He's seeking to make sure, keep on reading. So let's deal wisely with them. And he tries to keep their numbers down as he tries to keep the population smaller. And to that end, he throws baby boys into the Nile. And when you throw baby boys in the Nile, what are you really saying about the human life that you're destroying? That they don't count. That they don't count. That they don't matter. That every one of them is expendable. So this really is the book of names. Do you matter or don't you matter? And it's a devastating book of slavery. And all then these slaves are redeemed. And they come out of slavery. And listen to that word. They are redeemed. And as they come out of slavery, God says, I want to tell you guys something. You count. You matter to me. 
And then there's one person, and that person is called. When someone is called by God, that person matters. That's right, Vayikra. And so you have not just a nation of names, but now there's one person, and that person is is called and goes into this Mishkan, and God says, here's my place among you. Moshe begins to count. Maybe it's just Moshe. What about the people? The question for the people is, are they just a bunch of former slaves? Are they people who don't have confidence in themselves? Are they people who don't have enough in themselves to establish relationships with each other, to establish a nation, to matter in the world, to fulfill their destiny? What is Bamidbar all about? Bamidbar is about the struggle. If you think about Bamidbar, the the story of Korach. Think about the story of the spies. Think about all the backsliding that happens in Bamidbar. The struggle for the nation is, will they go backwards and say, let's go back to Egypt, the world in which we did not count, the world in which we had no names, the world in which we didn't matter. Will we go that way or will we go forward into the land? And therefore it is Bamidbar. It is no man's land. It's the place between the world in which we did not count, the world of slavery and the world of Egypt, and the world in which we do count, when we're a nation in our new land. And therefore, it is the book of Pikudim. It is the book of counting. It is the book of mattering. It is the book of a nation struggling with whether they matter. Will they reclaim their names? Or will they go back into nameless slavery? That is the challenge, I think, of Sefer Bamidbar. Rabbi Foreman's theory about the names of the Torah's first four books frames for us how to understand the Book of Numbers. It is, in fact, a book about counting, but not in the numerical sense. Rabbi Foreman is suggesting it's about the struggle of the Israelites to carry on the legacy begun by Abraham, but which was jeopardized by Pharaoh and for which, ultimately, Moses was called upon to continue. It's a legacy to make a difference in this world, to count in that figurative sense. Before you go, don't forget to print out your free guide on the Book of Ruth. The link is in the episode description. This episode was recorded by Rabbi David Foreman, together with his daughter, Ariella Foreman. When this episode originally aired on Aleph Beta, it was edited by Rifki Stern. Into the Verse editing was done by Evan Wiener. Our audio editor is me, Hilary Gottman. Our senior editor is Ari Levison. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. We'll be right back.